Okay, so if you're like, this is your first time here, we typically don't do bar stools on this stage, for one. We typically don't do four people on this stage at one time, but that is because tonight is Q&A night. So this is something we have done every year for a really long time, um, and essentially, normally, what we do is we're going through a book of the Bible, and we're kind of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, which is really awesome, um, but one of the things that can happen when we do that is that we don't get to hit things that are outside of the passages. So the really good thing is that we get to hit the things in the passages. We don't get to avoid those things. Um, but some other things we don't always get the chance to talk about. And so we like to set aside uh, one night where you guys can submit questions, which you've already done, um, and we can look through those and choose some. Sadly, we don't get to do all of them because of time. Um, but choose some that we can be able to speak to, um, things that are going on outside of Exodus, or even some further questions you might have about the study we've been doing this year. So that's kind of our heart in Q&A night. Also know that um, part of why we wanted you to bring your mug is because we want this to feel a little bit like you're sitting down to coffee with us, which we know it's not that. But that's what our hope is, is that actually from this, if you have more conversations, um, you have more questions that you want to have, we would love, love, love to do that with you so much. I will buy you coffee. Any of these people will buy you coffee um, because we want to have those conversations with you. So we, we really want this to not be the end point of your questions, but actually um, sparking more questions. And sometimes those are better answered one-on-one. -on -one. So we're going to do our best, um, and it's a fun night. But this is what we're going to do. You guys have submitted questions. I'm going to ask these different ones. We've prepared some of them. Some of them, they are about to find out some ones that I prepared oh. along the way. Um, and then <laughs> normally um, what we do is we have a break. Um, we're going to go to the bathroom, all those things, right, separately. Um, and <laughs> there's only one. Thank you for um, your clarity. Yeah, I appreciate that. We're all about worried. clarity here. <laughs> um, I just said it we, so you can if you need to. Um, but what we're going to do tonight is we'll do first half like this, and then we'll break at the halfway point. Guys are going inside. You guys are going to hang out with the bros, and then girls are going to stay out here. We're going to be talking about dating and relationships separately tonight at the halfway point. So just prepare yourself for that. It's going to be really fun. Um, so one, we've had some really good questions that are submitted, but to start us off, someone um, had a lot of questions having to do specifically with Drew Moss. And so I just wanted to kind of couple those all together into what I'm calling the Drew Moss lightning round. So Drew, um, you have to answer these questions, I mean like off the cuff. Okay. So put your iPhones away. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to I'm going to give you a bunch of these. I could count them, but it's in bullets, so it's too hard. Kay. So, um, Okay, what is your morning routine? Uh, coffee, Bible, get the kids ready for school. What is your favorite book of the Bible? Ephesians. 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 That's short. It's the Greek version. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is Drew Moss's kryptonite? Ooh, cold weather. That's so true. Uh, what and, qualifies and, as cold and, weather? And hot weather. Uh, anything of, anything under 65, anything over 75. Does anybody have an extra flannel for him right now? He's shivering right now. Okay, will Drew Moss ever go back to being beardless? Ooh, that is doubtful. <laughs> if you wonder what he looks like without a beard, 
Um, you can look at his son, and it's the exact same. <laughs> Today, if he shaved, he would look like his son. How old is like Hudson? Like a child, 13-year-old boy. <laughs> exactly. That's what I look like. Exactly. <laughs> okay, if Drew Moss was a superhero, who would it be? Uh, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. He's an honest man. That's self-awareness right there. That is self-awareness. Okay, Drew, um, first tell us the name of your van. Uh, the Maserati. Okay. And, <laughs> and how fast can the Maserati go? Uh, zero to 80 in under five minutes. <laughs> it's a limited model. Yes. Okay, and lastly, what is Drew Moss's spirit animal? Penguin. <laughs> Absolutely. He was so ready with that. <laughs> Give it up for Drew Moss lightning round. Thank you. <laughs> I really like the Robin one. What? The Robin one was good. Robin, yeah. That is good. I know myself. He knows himself. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, so the, we broke these up into different kind of categories that you guys could submit your questions. And so the first one is what we've been going through. We've been talking about Exodus. Um, and so this question is going to be for you, Drew. So change gears from Robin <laughs> to Exodus Try questions. To be <laughs> um, this was one of the questions submitted. How do you reconcile the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament? Okay. Uh, yeah, this is a good question. And there was another one that got submitted. I don't know if it's going to be up there later if I was supposed to answer it. I'm just going to double these two things up uh, because I think they're connected. And one of the questions I was asked is, why did we choose to do Exodus this year? And I'm not reading the punctuation in there. I don't know if that was, why did we choose to do Exodus this year? If that was just a, a curious question. But um, we, we decided to do Exodus for three reasons, basically. One is we want to try to get as much scripture in you as possible. And we want that to be like a well-rounded diet. And so while we spend most of our time in the New Testament, we do like to, from time to time, I talk with my hands too much, so this is going to fall if I don't put it down. Um, so, but from time to time, we want to we spend some time in the Old Testament to get you kind of a fuller picture of scripture. Uh, the second thing is Exodus, as we kind of said at the beginning, is a defining book for the rest of the Bible. The Bible keeps going back to things that we learn about God in Exodus and about ourselves in Exodus to describe the rest of the way that, like, Scripture works a lot of times. And so we wanted, wanted to get that kind of foundational element for you. And the third one is this, that we wanted to help you see how the Old Testament and the New Testament connects, uh, how the themes that get picked up in a book like this play out into the New Testament, particularly in the Gospel. And so this question really is a big one that a lot of people ask. How, how can the God of the Old Testament be the same as the God of the New Testament, because that's what the Bible claims. They're the same. And yet most people, and what, when someone asks this, what they usually mean is the God of the Old Testament seems so wrathful and judgmental, like he's constantly judging people and angry and bringing wrath, whereas the God of the New Testament, uh, personified in Jesus, is grace and love and kindness and mercy, and those seem like two different kinds of people. Uh, and so uh, it, it's one that's worth asking, but I, I really do believe that when we ask this, this is, this is a result of, of a short-sighted view of God, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that when you actually dig down in both of these, what you find is in both Testaments, you have a God who's, whose first move is always mercy, 
whose first move is grace, um, but who does not mind bringing judgment when it is necessary. And that's both Testaments. Uh, the Old Testament is full of pictures of God and his grace and mercy. As a matter of fact, we're going to get to it towards the end of the year. Exodus 34 is one of the keystone texts in all the Bible describing God. When Moses asks to see his glory and God reveals himself, the words that echo out from heaven as God's glory is revealed are these. Yahweh, Yahweh, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's, that's what marks him. And those words get repeated all throughout the Old Testament describing him. You want to know what God is like? Let's go back to Exodus 34. And, and this we see over and over and over again. It's played out in the Old Testament. Even in, like last, last week, we talked about God's judgment on Egypt for what they had done. And, and it's easy to just read that because we're just reading like a few sentences. It seems like everything happens real quick. And you're talking about a people who have enslaved another people group for decades, if not hundreds of years who have systematically slaughtered the children of those people group. And there is no one to judge them. There is no one to, to have them pay consequences for what they've done. Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world. And so God, as a good and right judge, steps in, and he is patient and, and gives decades of time. Later, God is going to send the Israelites into the land of Canaan and tell them to conquer the land and take it over. And a lot of people don't like that. You go back to Genesis 15, though, and God says to Abraham, this land of Canaan will be yours one day, but I'm not giving it to you yet because I'm going to give these people here another 400 years. I'm not, I don't want you to defeat them. I'm going to give them another 400 years. These are people who are sacrificing their own children to idols, who are doing detestable things. And how long would you give a person like that before you finally brought punishment on them? God gives 400 years. And then you switch to the New Testament and actually see that there's plenty of wrath and judgment in the New Testament from God. He does not mind uh, striking down Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 when they lie about the money that they're giving supposedly to the poor. He does not mind striking down Herod in Acts 12 when Herod is coming after his church and trying to tear people down. And Jesus does not mind bringing wrath and anger in the temple when people are abusing the worship and abusing those who are trying to come and worship there. We see this time and time again, that God is gracious and compassionate, and yet, because he is a good judge, he does not shrug his soul shoulders when people do wicked things. Any judge who every time like a murderer comes onto the stand and gets accused and found guilty, if the judge just kind of shrugged his shoulders and went, no big deal, we would say that's, that's a terrible judge. He's corrupt, and God is not like that. God brings judgment, but... The really cool thing is the same Jesus, 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 the same Jesus who gets angry in the temple is the same Jesus who a short time later will go to the cross to pay for the sins of all those people in the temple. And, and, and when Jesus dies on the cross, what happens is all of God's judgment that was supposed to go to you and that was supposed to go to me, God still punishes all those sins. Because he's a good and right judge, but he punishes them in Jesus. Jesus willingly takes that on himself. And so this allows, Romans 3 says, it allows God to be both just in that he always punishes sin and the justifier, the one who allows us to be good and right with him and give us grace. Both of these, we see this picture run all throughout the Bible, Old Testament to New, that God is a God of grace and love and also a God of justice. All of it is balanced and held together in this one God across all the scriptures. That's good. Thanks, Drew. Okay, so 
Um, another category of question that we had was kind of this idea of like adulting and like how to be a grown up, um, not just like generally like how to do your taxes, although if anyone knows how to do that. I do not ask me. All right. Um, <laughs> so we don't know about that. But um, <laughs> how to be a grown up in your faith questions uh, where you're moving from I've just come to know Jesus. Um, I want to be growing in my faith. Um, and so one of one of those questions I'm going to ask you, Randy, but um, this is going to be a lead in. But I just want to know just OK, be honest with us. OK. Have you ever binge watched a show and what was it? Yes. Uh, <gasps> the Crown. I couldn't help it. Crown. It just uh, sucks me one. in. It's a good one. I know. Do you it have did. an accent that you could do no, for us? I can't do an <laughs> accent. What, what, is, what does binge watching mean for you? Two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Whoa. Have some self-control. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> Two episodes, then bed by 9 o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> if at all possible. <laughs> They probably weren't even back-to-back. -back. It was just like in the same day, one in the morning, one in the evening. Okay, that's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're with all of us binge-watchers, right? We're all the same here. Okay, so um, the question that was submitted, though, is as believers, kind of as we think about the things that we're taking in, how do we decide what is maybe off-limits, kind of in quotations, to watch and listen to, given that in our culture it seems like everything has parts that are generally not good for believers? How do we discern that? Okay, that is a great question. And I'm going to be honest, you're not going to love my answer because my children don't love my answer because it's the same concept. This is what uh, we are training our young boys in right now. Uh, they will eventually be leaving our home, and so we are trying to train them in this very thing. Because what you watch uh, and what you listen to shapes your mind and shapes your heart, uh, which shapes how you worship the Lord, whether you pursue him fully or not, will depend on what you spend a lot of time investing in watching and listening to. And so the slow down and ask this question is a great question. Um, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to need is discernment. You're going to have to grow in the slow process of discernment. Because uh, there's actually... Uh, a show that I, uh, there's a whole station that I love called HGTV. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. Or it H has a I lot of shows in I it. I heard HGTV? Yeah. Home and Garden? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I but have heard of this, yeah. You've heard of it? Good. Um, here's the struggle with that. There's nothing inherently bad in it. But it will stir discontentment in me very quickly. Right? The Lord has blessed me with so many wonderful gifts and I will start watching that show and think my life is terrible. And that's not okay, right? It's not okay for my heart to be stirred that way. And so learning the things that stir your affections, because that's not going to be true of everyone. You're going to have to model David's prayer in Psalm 139 to search me, Lord. Reveal these things in me. You know me fully, Lord. Help me to know these things about myself. And you're going to have to grow in that. Um, the second thing I would tell you is to grow in holiness, to be holy as the Lord is holy, honestly will set a lot of guardrails for you on their own. Um, and it will keep you from swinging too far one way or the other. Because I think we can, uh, in our quick fix, either say it doesn't really matter, right? It's all bad. Everything's got something bad. I'll just limit how much I watch. It's not that big of a deal. And so we have no boundaries. Or we can swing the other way and we just don't watch anything right? Only the chosen, only House FM, that's all we're going to do. 
And neither one is fully what the Lord is asking. Like we're leaning into him and we're asking him, what stirs my affections? Where do I need to guard some things? And there are some principles, right? There are vice lists given to us. And so if you're looking at Colossians, which says you need to put to death some things, when you are watching and listening to shows that stir those things in you, that's not going to help you put it to death. Those romantic comedies, ladies, are not going to help you enjoy singleness. They're just not. And so, so that's what I would say. We're going to have to grow in discernment. Men, I, maybe, I, I don't know. I know, it's, it's serious. <laughs> it's weird, they think I'm joking, but uh, I... Okay, we're all laughing, <laughs> but uh, bro, I'm I'm down for a good rom com. Okay, I've read all the Twilights. And that's not a rom com. Um, this is Randy's question though, so I don't want to detract. But I w- I will say as another another single person, um, I think romantic movies and just like love songs can be one of the most like can just destroy you. And it's not even like in the moment. It's like you listen to that, you feel good in the moment, and then why do I feel so sad that night? Because I spent the whole day listening to that stuff. So, yeah. Sorry. sorry. Slow process of discernment and leaning into the Lord for holiness. That was good. Um, Okay, so this next question um, is actually for you, Alec. Um, (laughs) I just have to ask, like, why do you look like Mr. Clean tonight? (laughs) Like, tell the people what has happened. Like, we just, like, tell them what has happened. Because I, uh, I clean up all the messes around here. Oh, my. Hey! God. Boom! I can't. <laughs> that, was, that was lame. <laughs> um, tell them what happened, though. Last week to this week. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's been a transformation. So, um, I grew younger. Um, and anti-aging cream yes um i've got a very simple process shave your facial hair um but drew and i and a couple other people my sister and ali billman we were dressing up as despicable me uh for yesterday um the church had a a fall carnival like a halloween festival um i was grew (laughs) and drew was vector oh yeah (laughs) Squid launcher. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you, you got to go all in, you know. You gotta go we on. appreciate your commitment to the role. Yes. Yeah. And commitment to the church. Amen. Commitment to the church right there. That's right. That's true. Okay, so this next question is... <laughs> they want to hear, but I'm going to move past it. Um, he can do it later. Um, so this next question, I'm actually going to answer. And so I was like, I was thinking about it, and I was like, how should I ask this question? I was like, maybe I should ask myself. And then like, oh, that's a great question, Rachel. And like, I'm so glad you asked. But actually, I'm going to make Drew ask this question for me. Kay. If we can put it up on the slide. This is a, a question about non-dating relationships. Okay, how can I deepen relationships with people of the same gender as me? Rachel. That's Rachel. a great, que- <laughs> great yeah. question, Drew. Thank you for asking me. I appreciate it. Um, this is, this really is actually a good question. As we were looking through, we were like, I really appreciate this question because, um, friendship, we really believe is a gift from the Lord and friendship exists, um, as like a common grace gift that all people can enjoy. So unbelievers, um, can enjoy friendship, but we do believe that friendship among believers is different. 
Um, because if Randy and I are sisters in Christ, there's a deeper bond of unity because we're in Christ. It's not just um, that we both like the crown or we, we have shared interests or we both like softball. It's not those things that bond us. Most of all, it's, it's Christ, being united in Christ. And so we believe that friendship is a gift um, to be enjoyed for believers, but just because it's a gift doesn't mean that it's easy or always convenient. And so as I was thinking about this, um, a verse that came to mind was Proverbs 13, 20. Um, and it says, the one who walks with the wise will become wise. And a company of fools, the companion of fools, will suffer harm. Um, and essentially what that means is whoever your friends are, that's who you'll become. Um, so the kind of the encouragement from that verse is to choose your friends wisely. And I would say that for us as believers, um, we really believe that our closest friends should be people who are pursuing Jesus, that we can run alongside them as we are both pursuing Jesus. So there's going to be kind of a cap on your friendship um, with an unbeliever just because of that. Your, life's, your lives are kind of going in two different directions. If somebody's not following Jesus, your lives are going to kind of separate in some important ways. Um, so I would say when it comes to choosing your friends, um, your closest friends should be believers if you're following Jesus. Um, Another thing is just because somebody is a believer doesn't mean automatically that they're going to be a great friend. We're all kind of at different levels of maturity and different things. Um, and so when you're looking for somebody to be a friend, you need to ask yourself, when I look at their actions and their life, the things that they um, do, the things that they say, do I want to become more like that or less like that? Is that attractive to me as somebody who is trying to follow Jesus? Does that look like Jesus or not? Um, so we want to choose those people wisely. And the other thing I would say is that um, I think we all, probably more women than men, um, but we all want to be the receiver of the text on Friday night. Like, hey, do you want to go do this? Do you want to come over for movie night? Right? Like, it feels really good to be invited. Um, and that's a good thing. Like, we're actually designed um, to be pursued, most of all, by Jesus and by God, because he's the one, like we've seen in Exodus, who makes himself known, um, the God who pursues us. But sometimes um, in relationships, when we want to be pursued, we wait and we wait and we wait. Um, and if no one ever asks, that can kind of result in a insecurity for us. We think, like, maybe they don't want to ask. Like, I don't know. Um, but one time I was complaining about this to somebody who was older and wiser than me. And she said, well, how do you know somebody's not waiting for your text? And I was like, okay, well, that was not fun. <laughs> uh, it was like a moment of conviction to realize that in a friendship, someone always has to initiate. Someone always has to pursue. Um, and so if you want to deepen your friendships, you get to take that on and you get to take the initiative. And that's not to say that the other person will never give, um, but just to... A pro tip, friendships are never 50-50, total split. No relationship is. Some you're going to give more, some you're going to get more. Um, so I would say take the initiative. And then lastly, what I would say um, is with everything that we do, we want to look to the word of God and Jesus' example. And Jesus actually gives us a really good example of friendship, not one of marriage, um, but of friendship. And we see these um, kind of ex expanding concentric circles of responsibility or friendship. Um, and what that means is so there's the crowds who are following Jesus. There's a lot of them. And then there's his followers. There's not as many of them. Then there's 12 disciples. They're much closer to Jesus. And then there's three disciples, Peter, James, and John, who are the closest to Jesus. 
And so there's this kind of ever-expanding, or you could see the other way, ever-tightening circle of friendship that Jesus models. And the three and the 12 get more time and energy and vulnerability and teaching from Jesus than the crowds do. And so just for us to remember that you cannot be best friends with everyone. We're not designed for that. Um, and that your friendships can and probably should look different from each other, that we can expect different things from different friendships. Um, and any friendship will take time and it will take effort. But I would say that those are good things to remember. And then basic relationship like principles apply. Like if you want to get to know someone, start with asking them about themselves. Ask them open-ended questions. Ask them to do activities you know that they'll like. Do things with them. Ask them questions, not just like, hey, do you like softball? But like, what are you passionate about, Randy? Like, what houses do you like? The Lord. The Lord, right? So that's where it's going to, it's circling back to being friends with believers and all those things. But those would be some of my thoughts on friendship. Thank you, Rachel, for sharing about friendship. Oh, that was so good, Rachel. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, thanks. Appreciate it. Sorry, I wasn't trying to get a clap for myself, but, but thanks. On the fly question. Yeah. Yeah. So his question was, how do you discern when maybe a relationship starts to feel a little bit like a transaction um, versus kind of like an ever deepening relationship? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Do you guys have any thoughts, Alec? Yeah, I pay my friends. (laughs) (laughs) It is a transaction. (laughs) Please hang out with me. Do you have a real thought? Oh, Oh, Randy does. I I have a thought. I have a thought in you're going to have to talk to your friend and you're going to have to share that with him. You're going to have to say, this is what it's kind of feeling like in my, for my shoes. Like, this is from my perspective, and I could be seeing this wrong. Like, how are you seeing this friendship? And I think even just that will clarify a lot for you on what they're wanting from that relationship. But I think we've got to be open to just saying those things to each other and saying where we are, like, wrestling with some things instead of just mulling over in our head again and again, which is what we like to do, as if that's going to solve the problem. It's not. You're going to have to talk with them. Um, and sometimes it's not going to go great, and that's okay. You're going to fumble through it. Here's what I have found. You can always go back, and you can apologize later, right? If you didn't do something well, like grace is always there to go back and go, okay, so I did not handle that well. I was not as kind as I should have been. I wasn't as patient as I should have been. Um, and you can work to reconcile. You can own what is yours to own. So that would be what I would ask. I don't know if there's anything up to add. Yeah, just, just intentionality and vulnerability are huge. Um, so the vulnerability piece on your side is going to be necessary. Yeah. Okay, second uh, non-dating relationship question is for you, Randy. Um, so kind of transitioning from talking about friendships to what it looks like with our parents. Specifically, how do you deal with a broken relationship with a parent? Um, okay, well, we're really going to pretend we're having coffee together. That's how I want to walk through this with you. Because if we were sitting down, because this is going to be a lot of you, I think. Um, I've sat with some of you in this. And I would say, I am so sorry. That is hard. And I wish that wasn't true. And then we're going to kind of open up with some questions. The first question I'd want to know, if I don't know you well, is one, have you made Christ the center of your life? And two, are your parents in the same boat? 
Are you both believers? Because if one of the parties is not, how you're going to walk through that is going to be a little bit different. And the expectation on the other side, you don't have the same worldview. What it means to reconcile with an unbeliever is not the same as, as a sister in Christ. We don't have the same end goal. Um, even in a parent relationship, it would be different. Um, so that would be a starting point is to assess that. Uh, the second thing I'd want to ask you is how healthy this relationship is. What did that relationship look like? If there is abuse, if there is deep neglect, deep hurt there, then there may be a slower process of what that reconciliation looks like. And to be cautious and to walk through that, you may need some extra help in doing that because that may not be safe for you to enter into. Um, And not to just walk into that assuming because I'm in Christ, this will resolve all of it. There may be some things that you cannot control that you need to be aware of. Um, Once we go through those, we'll kind of assess. Then it's asking what caused the break. And most likely it wasn't one big thing. It was probably lots of little things over time that slowly ate away at it until there was a big break. And we'll figure out, we'll ask some more questions on what those were. And here's the thing, I can only talk to you about it. And I'm going to ask you, what is yours to own in this? Where did you, where do you possibly need to seek forgiveness? Was there something you did? Was there something you said? Was there a tone and an attitude that you brought into it that you as a believer have to own? And you get to extend that. And you do not get to control the outcome of it in any of these conversations. Whether it's a parent, whether it's a friend, you have no control over what someone else does with what you give. You just get to own what is yours. And you trust the Lord in the process that he will be enough if they don't respond well that he will love you and he will be with you and the community that you are a part of will help you. And then you live like Jesus. You keep extending grace and you offer forgiveness if they want it. And you love them and you honor them because they are your parents. And that doesn't mean you do everything they say, but how you talk about them, how you talk to them, we still honor them. And so you look like Jesus in that. So, but that's a hard one. And I hope if that didn't answer and that is your question, I, I hope we can sit down for that cup of coffee. That's good. Okay, so now we are going to go from non-dating relationships to some difficult biblical texts. And again, there's multiple questions. Um, and if your question didn't make it in, we really want to get coffee with you. <laughs> Hear us say we really want to sit down and talk with you um, because we want to be able to give your questions the full amount of time. We know we're not going to be able to do that tonight. Um, but just on to like a breezy question here for you, Alec. <laughs> it's actually not. I'm gonna, it's going to be a serious one. Okay. Uh, it was a joke. Um, this is one of the questions submitted. We kind of actually combined two questions here that, because they're related. So the question is, can a Christian lose their salvation? Is once saved, always saved, biblical? And then kind of this follow-up related question, um, there is a reference, 1 John 5, 16 through 17. Um, what is, in this verse, the sin that leads to death, and are we not supposed to pray about it? Light and breezy. You're up, Alec. Um, so I, I am excited to talk about this one. Um, this is a big topic. Um, it's a big topic for a lot of people. Um, this topic, I'm supposed to get this in in four minutes, so we're gonna we're gonna go fast, and then we're gonna try and sit down with coffee sometime and go over this again. 
Um, but before I even talk about this stuff, I actually just want to say two, two reminders um, and slash challenges from me to you when it comes to this topic. Um, the first one is uh, this conversation specifically for some strange reason that I do not understand, is a very destructive conversation most of the time. It comes up. In Christian circles, when it comes up about, can Christians lose their salvation? Are they always going to be in um, assurance of faith? Um, I know we're talking about some serious things, but we can become very unchristian very fast. There's many churches that have been split. There's many friendships that have been ruined. It can become very destructive. And so I just want to say at the beginning, I don't know where you are with this, but we can disagree and still have very good biblical reasons. But most importantly, we can still be Christ-like in that. We have to maintain a spirit of Christ. And so if you are the guy or the girl that just is always bringing this up on either side, and it's just like you, you just use the Bible to beat people with it, I challenge you to reflect on that. Um, the second thing that I just want to challenge um, when it comes, because the idea is, can, can we lose our salvation? I just want to remind us that salvation is a person. It's not a, a ticket to get into heaven. Um, salvation is a relationship with Jesus Christ um, who died for us. And the, the best way of describing salvation is being in Jesus. And so when we start saying things like, um, I lost it or I can't, I can't ever lose it, um, we, we kind of make this a thing and, and not a person. So um, when we get to this idea of like, I was, I was saved, um, I was saved at Falls Creek, or I was saved when I was at uh, Camp Lila, or I was saved at all these other Christian camps that I grew up going to. Um, and then I have not lived any sort of life with Jesus for the rest of time. Then the question is, are, are you with Jesus it's not, do you have salvation? Are, are you with Jesus? That's the question that we need to be asking about, okay? Two quick reminders. Let's hop into this. I believe you can lose your salvation, um, and I'm going to give three reasons why. Uh, the Bible warns so. It warns us that we can, and those warnings, I believe, come for a reason, and the Bible, I don't think, gives hollow warnings. Um, I believe so because of logically what salvation means, and I believe so because of personal experience, and I'll try and break those down. Another way of asking this question, and it's kind of a, a term that most people haven't really heard of, um, is, is apostasy real? Um, apostasy, A-P-O-S-T-A-S-Y, apostasy. Um, and apostasy simply means to deny the, deny the faith. Um, Apostasy is someone who was a Christian for all intents and purposes. They seemed to be in, they seemed to be walking in Jesus, a part of the church, praying to God, calling out on his name, and then they have denied the Lord for whatever reason. Um, genuinely denied Jesus with their genuine faith. That's the idea of apostasy. Uh, Judas Iscariot seems to be the key example from the, old, from the, the New Testament for all intents and purposes, he seemed to be one of the apostles doing miracles inside of the gang, and then he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Um, people can apostatize. I'm going to use that word a lot just because it's the, the, the formal word for it. Um, in three ways, um, there is a formal apostasy, which is a blatant, it's plain, 
I no longer believe in Jesus. Those were silly stories that I believed when I was in middle school, but now I've grown up. Um, I'm atheistic, agnostic. I once was, but now I'm not. Very formal. Um, there is a moral apostasy, something we don't really talk about very much. Um, you claim the name of Christ, but your life is very, very far from him. Um, I believe it's Matthew 7. I didn't get the chance to look this up, but uh, Jesus says in the Bible, um, there's going to be many that come to me at the, the last days, and they're going to say, Lord, did we not prophesy? Did we not uh, do miracles? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because you didn't do the deeds of my Father in heaven. There's some type of moral living, doing God's will, that is a part of the Christian faith. Moral apostasy, you claim the name of Christ, but you never, you never live it out. And then, this is a new one, um, apostasy by redefinition. Um, we call this deconstruction, um, but when you make Christianity um, into what you think Christianity is, when Christ becomes your version of Christ and not the biblical version of Christ. And so grace means something new. Sin means what you want it to mean. Uh, heaven, hell, all this stuff. It becomes your definition. Um, then you have just that. You have your version of Christianity. You don't have Jesus' version of Christianity. And so that is another form of apostasy. Um, a couple quick things. I'm just going to give these really quick because I think I'm already over time. Um, Reasons why I believe it's real. Um, the Bible warns about it. Um, I would say quite often um, in many, many letters, there is some kind of warning to maintain the faithfulness. Here are some of the big ones. Um, Hebrews 6 and 10. 2 Peter 2, 20 and 22. I'm saying these slowly in case anyone's writing. Hebrews 6 and 10. 2 Peter 2, 20. James 5, 19 and 20, and Romans 11, 22. Um, yeah, I'm just, you can go look those up later. Um, it warns, warns that, and I hope that we don't, it's a common thing that people look at those warnings and they say those warnings aren't actual warnings. They are warnings that are more of like encouragements, that they're there to like goad you on. Um, but the thing is that, Warnings in every area of life seem to play the role of a danger sign, um, that there is a genuine danger if you choose to keep going down that road. And so we can't wave over those warnings. They seem to be real. Um, second, logically, um, once again, very briefly, I'm sorry about this. Um, salvation um, is on a, I say simply, there's a spectrum when it comes to belief. Of salvation, I don't think I'm saying it simply already. Um, <laughs> there is a mystery of free will and God's sovereignty and foreknowledge that are somehow mysteriously involved. You have to have both ingredients: free will and God's sovereignty. I'm, I I can have confidence that on God's part, He is sovereign over this, but it's it's me too. I'm also involved in this. I maintain a grip on the faith that God's given me. If you go too far either way, you run into issues. If you go too far with believing that it's all free will, you run into things called open theism. Um, 
I think I'm using terms. Um, you run into things like uh, um, God may not know the future, and God doesn't know what's going to happen, and maybe grace can run out for you, and that doesn't seem to be how the Bible speaks. If you go too far the other way, then you get into issues like once saved, always saved. I claim the name of Jesus, and it does not matter how I live. I've got my ticket to heaven, which does not seem how the Bible speaks. Um, love to talk more about that. And finally, experience. If I could just say this, um, I was a table student, and there were many, many Christians here who both were table leaders. There are many Christians that went on mission. There are many Christians who became pastors and shepherded people for many years, and they left the faith. Experience tells us that whatever it is that we think about apostasy, it is a real threat. Um, and so I hope that when we think about this issue, we take it with seriousness. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see if you are truly in the faith. Um, we can have compassion on people. Uh, we never want to give up on people. Always extend grace to God, grace. But there is a seriousness when it comes to claiming the name of Jesus and walking it out. So that was not brief, but that was... Appreciate it. Yeah. You guys have learned like three new words, so Thanksgiving, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, okay, we're going to do one more question, but I actually have a, a first question. So one thing to know about Drew is that um, sometimes at the office, Drew will walk around without shoes on. And so I've been meaning to ask you this for quite some time. I just want to know, do you, do you do that because you think shoes are dumb, or is it because you think you're better than people who <laughs> wear shoes? <laughs> I mean, generally, I'm better than people, but... <laughs> It's not because of that. Uh, no, just kidding it's other about things. that. It's because my feet get, uh, this sounds counterintuitive, okay? If the feet are, if the shoes are on too long, the feet get sweaty. As soon as they get sweaty, they get cold. So I gotta keep, I gotta, it's, it's like a process, you know? You get it, right? Everybody gets this. <laughs> <laughs> second, second question. Um, I've been seeing you with your shoes on more lately. What's, uh, what's that about? Uh, yeah, that's because there's a, a uh, stinking shoe thief in my office who takes my shoes every time I take them off. His name so, is Alex. Uh, he looks somewhat like Mr. Clean. So <laughs> That's good. Okay, sorry. I, I should have confronted you about that personally, but here we are. So. <laughs> okay, this is our last question on difficult Bible texts, and then we will split. Um, so this one is for you, Drew. This is actually two combined questions again, but related. So this is the question. Why does the Bible say being gay is a sin? What outdated or countercultural principles in the Bible are meant to be followed now? And what principles are we free from being bound to? How do I know which is which? This is a big one, right? Um, and, and there are. There are two questions here. And I want to answer the second one first. And then we'll lead from that into that first one. Uh, what outdated or countercultural principles in the Bible are meant to be followed now? And what principles are we free from being bound to? Um, Generally, this question is asked uh, concerning the Old Testament laws because there are a lot of Old Testament laws, and some of them are ones that totally make sense to us and do not seem outdated at all, like do not steal. And like everyone here agrees, yes, stealing is a bad thing. Let's not steal, right? And then there are some uh, that are kind of mixed, in, and people feel really weird in this culture, like uh, that there should not be same-sex romantic sexual relationships, and, and there's a lot, that sounds backwards, 
and that sounds outdated, and that sounds harsh. And then there's some that, like all of us agree, seems really odd, like you shouldn't eat shellfish, you shouldn't eat shrimp, or you shouldn't wear a shirt with two different kinds of thread in it. Uh, and, and those ones we go, okay, so really, and, and so the, it's got all these laws, and, and we, we have to decide what are we going to listen to. I don't think that we get to just pick and choose. I don't like that one. Right? If someone goes, well, I kind of like stealing, so I, I, I don't really, I'm not a big fan of that law, so I'm going to push it to the side. doesn't matter if you like it or not. you got to follow it, right? doesn't matter if I like the no shirts with two different kinds of material in it. If that's what God wants me to do, I want to submit my life to that. And so it's, it's important for us to be able to grasp which ones are actually applying to us. And, and just because we don't have a whole lot of time, I'm going to give you kind of an oversimplified explanation. In the Old Testament, there are two main categories of laws, okay? There are moral laws in the Old Testament that God gives, and there are ceremonial laws that God gives. Uh, the ceremonial laws, I'll talk about those first. These are the laws that God gave the people of Israel to remind them that he is holy and that they are to be holy just like him, that they are to be separate from the rest of the world. They're not supposed to live like the rest of the world. They're supposed to be unique. And so they're laws that don't necessarily have any moral uh, moral reasoning behind them except for like these two different kinds of material in one shirt. No, we're going to be the kinds of people who separate ourselves. We're not going to act like all the child-sacrificing pagans or who do like temple prostitution and those kinds of things. We're not going to act like that. We're going to be unique in so many ways, including the food that we eat, including the kind of clothes that we wear, because we want to remember that we are not like everyone else. We belong to God. Um, and then there are, in those same ceremonial laws, there are things like animal sacrifice, that if I sin, animal sacrifices were a reminder that God is holy and I am not, and I need something to, to cleanse me of my sin so that I can be in the presence of a holy God. And so they would continually offer sacrifices at the temple to cleanse themselves and make themselves holy to be in the presence of God. Now, every one of the ceremonial laws is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So when Jesus comes, um, the shirt I wear is not what marks me as holy. The food I eat is not what marks me as holy. Jesus marks me as holy. Okay, Jesus, his death, his blood that covers me is what makes me holy. And therefore, I do not need to follow these laws that were designed to kind of remind me to be holy. Jesus has made me holy. His Holy Spirit dwelling within me makes me holy. Um, and, and so those are, those are important things. I do not need to offer sacrifices to atone for my sin because uh, Hebrews 10 says that Jesus, by his own sacrifice, has made us clean forever. And so there is no need to continually offer sacrifices. The animal sacrifices were pointers to a greater sacrifice that was coming, and that is Jesus. And so every one of the ceremonial laws is fulfilled in Jesus and therefore is gone for us. And we don't have to follow those anymore. The moral laws are laws that are rooted in God's character and in his design for us as human beings. And that stays the same always. The reason uh, lies are considered wrong and the truth is considered right is because there is no lies in God, that he is all true. And that was true back then and that is true today and that will always be true. Um, the reason it is love instead of hate is because God is love, right? And so these laws carry on. One of the key ways you can know, uh, one of the helpful uh, kind of lenses, how do I know which is which, is you look at the, the New Testament and go, what laws carry over into the New Testament? Which ones does Jesus continue to hold to? Jesus says, Mark 6, all foods are clean. You can eat anything. 
okay? Um, Hebrews tells us no need for sacrifices anymore. And so, uh, but the laws that continue to be carried over into the New Testament, those are the ones that we hold. Here is one of those, that God has designed it in relationships uh, that uh, marriage is meant to be between a man and a woman. And that same-sex relationships are not designed to be romantic or sexual in nature. And that leads to this question, why? Why is that a rule? Why is that a command? And, and this is a tough one. And you want to talk about wanting to sit down and have coffee. Like, I really, this is one that I wish I could do with every one of you because I know that there are a lot of different people coming from a lot of different places on this. And I know that there are some people in this backyard tonight who this question brings up a lot of pain and a lot of heartache uh, because you experience feelings in this, uh, same-sex attraction or whatever that may be, feelings that you've felt for a long time and you've tried to not feel those things and, and it continues to be there. Or maybe because you have uh, felt these feelings and you have been incredibly hurt by people, people who in the name of Jesus were hateful to you and who were who were mean and, and did hurtful things to you, and that is wrong, and that breaks our heart that anybody would use Jesus to be hateful to you because that's not how he operates. And, and so I want you to know that. It may be that you have someone uh, that you love very deeply who identifies as gay or lesbian or bi, anywhere in LGBTQ. If so, and, and you're wrestling with, what am I supposed to do with that? And the way people treat with them, if, if, if that's you, just know that that's me too. Uh, that I have a very close family member who identifies as gay, who has experienced same-sex attraction for almost their entire life, who is currently married to, to someone of the same gender. Uh, and I love that person very much. Uh, I love them very much. And I also, uh, I also disagree with them. And I think that this is a huge lie in our world today that says that you, if you disagree with someone, you have to hate them. Uh, that's, that's kind of the belief. You either agree with me or you hate me. Uh, if you love me, you'll agree with me. And that's, that's not biblical. Uh, Christianity is based on a man who loved the people who hated him most, who prayed for those people while they were crucifying him. And so Christianity, if it means anything, it means that we have the ability to love people even if we don't agree with them, even if they don't like us. And so I can disagree with this, this family member that I love very much, and, and I, I can disagree with them and still, uh, still love them and, and be on different pages. So, again, why? Uh, why does God say this? And, and one way this kind of gets phrased a lot, there's this really, I mean, I, I, everyone here has heard it, this very common, like, slogan or motto, love is love, right? And, and if love is love, what, what, does, what problem does God have with two people who love each other? With two consenting adults who love each other and want to be in a relationship with each other, why would God be against that? Why would God be mad about that? And that is a great question. I still remember, like, seeing that on a shirt in Target and that, like, kind of taking me back for a little bit. This love is love and going, yep, what do I do about that? And how should we think about that? I'm really thankful for this writer. Her name is Rebecca McLaughlin, and she is uh, an incredible writer. Very wise and smart. She's written a number of books. One book is called Secular Creed, and it deals with this question along with a number of other questions like transgenderism. Um, another one is called Confronting Christianity, Nine Big Questions for the World's Biggest Religion, and it is really good and deals with this. Uh, one of the things I love about Rebecca is that she is really smart and she is really kind and gentle in her tone. 
Other thing is actually Rebecca McLaughlin would tell you she is same-sex attracted. She has always been attracted to women her whole life. Um, and yet she believes that the Bible speaks against living that way. And she believes that God is not doing that because he's against her, but that he loves her and he wants what's best for her. He has something better for her. And so she has chosen to trust that and live a life not engaging in those things. She says this. She says that people like to say a lot, love is love. But the reality is that nobody actually believes that. People think they believe that. Nobody actually believes that. For example, uh, I love my wife, Amy, uh, who you girls will get to hear from in just a little bit. I'm really excited about that. I love my wife. We've been married for 17 years now. Um, I also love my kids very much. But if I were to try to take the kind of love that I have for my wife that includes romantic and sexual love, and I were to try to put that into my relationship with my kids, if I were to try to bring romantic sexual love into my relationship with my kids, that ruins that. That destroys that because these are two very different kinds of love. And you may go, well, yeah, that's, that's because it's an adult and a kid. That's, that's illegal. That's not. We're talking about two consenting adults. Okay. So what if a full-grown man like my age decided to take his relationship with his grandparents and include romantic and sexual love in that relationship with his grandma or with his grandpa? And there's something inside of you that, even as I say that, cringes a little bit or recoils. And that is because every one of us deep down understands that those are two different kinds of love. And, and, and the reality is that there are many different kinds of love, from the love you have for a spouse to the love you have for your kids to friendship love to uh, parents, uh, grandparent love to my love for God. And, and there are a lot of sibling love. There are all kinds of different loves. And what McLaughlin says is if you take these two different kinds of love, like marriage love and kid love, uh, or even marriage love and like same gendered love, like friendship love between two guys. What, what happens is you take two really great things um, and when you blend them together, it's like two, if you take milk, milk is really great and good for a lot of things and lemon juice can be used in a lot of recipes to make things good, to make lemonade, all those things. You take these two good things and you mix them together and it ruins both of them and it spoils both of them. And, and the idea is that these two, uh, that there are certain kinds of love that God designed for us to live out and, and that those really are separate. Our world has made two major mistakes about this. The first is that they have tried to blend these things together that were not designed to be blended together. Um, the, the second one is that we have taken romantic and sexual love and we have made that the ultimate one. And we've made that the one that everyone needs if they're going to live a truly fulfilled life that they need if they're ever going to be really happy. And if you can't find the one, and if you try to tell me that I can't marry whoever I want to marry and be loved to, then it's like you're robbing me of my identity, and you're robbing me of my chance for happiness. And it seems like that's what God is trying to do when he makes laws and rules like this, which, by the way, the reason God sets this up as man and woman um, is because the design is that two you would take two image bearers who are unique or different from each other, who both reflect God in two distinct and different ways. And these two different genders are designed to come together to make something new that you cannot make with just one gender, uh, to, to bring like a complementarian uh, view to each other or, or grouping together in the same way that Christ and the church come together in marriage. And, and, and the idea, if, if we believe that a person has to have romantic love, that that love is better than friendship love, it's not. 
uh, that uh, sexual love and marriage is more important than the relationships I can have in church or the relationships I can have with my like actual biological brothers, then I am missing something to think that I have to have that. If I believe that, then I have to believe that Jesus did not leave a, fu- a fulfilled life here on earth because he never experienced romantic or sexual love. I-, I have to believe that the Apostle Paul never actually lived out the full human experience because he was single. I have to believe that Mother Teresa uh, never experienced that kind of life, that um, my friend Carrie from my home church never is living a fulfilled life, and I don't believe that. I believe that God love, and I believe that friendship love, and I believe family love, and especially the family that is the church, is good and enough, and I believe that God is not trying to steal our joy from us, uh, that he has something better for us, even if it doesn't always look like it, even if it doesn't always feel like it. Here's what I would say to you. If this is somewhere where you are at and you are wrestling with these things, either because you are feeling it yourself or because someone close to you is, I want you to know, first and foremost, uh, you are loved here. You are cared for. And and we want to always point you to truth because we believe that Jesus has the best life for you, that he has a fuller life for you. We want to always point you to that, but we want you to know uh, that you're loved, and we we hope that you will... um, even in the midst of something that would be very difficult, and I understand it for my family member and the difficulty that he has experienced, even in the midst of something difficult that you would trust that God is good and that he is asking you to hold to this design he has for, for big reasons that you may not experience or may not see yet, but one day will be able to. That's, that's my hope for you, and my hope is also that, that if you've got bigger questions and pain and heartache, uh, that you would come talk to any of us, and we would love love to sit down and, and walk you through and, 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 and just walk beside you through some hard times and some hard years. Thanks, Drew.